Hello and welcome to the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. In this special extended episode, Jamie Pembroke and myself, Richard Selfridge, share with you our Data Busters Guide for Governors, which we recorded live on the 1st of December. This webinar was aimed at primary school governors and it covers statutory data, summaries of data and the various problems with that data. And after looking at all that information, we're going to share our preferred approach to managing the information which you have in school, which is to attain a state of data minimalism that allows governors to monitor and challenge without getting lost in the data swamp. And as you may have noticed, we've recorded video as well as audio, which you might find useful once we get to our suggestions for data minimalism. So sit back, relax, as we present a Data Busters Guide for Governors. It's an update on the sensible use of school data for primary school governors. Uh, and you join me, I'm Richard Selfridge, I'm a primary teacher and data buster, and Jamie Pembroke, who is Insights Director of Strategy. Um, and this is a fireside chat about our favorite subject. Um, as authors of Data Proof Your School, published earlier this year, um, both of us are passionate about helping schools to understand their data. And this webinar is particularly focused uh, and designed for um, primary school governors. So we'd like to thank you very much for joining us. As you'll know, uh, the webinar is free and it's also advert free. Um, but as it's Christmas, if you'd like to donate um, some money to the, Tr the Trussell Trust, um, we'd like to recommend that you do uh, and that you text Trussell and your amount, for example, Trussell five pounds, Trussell 50 pounds to- um, Just the number actually, just Trussell space five. Trussell space five to 70085, uh, which will help their vital work running food banks for those most in need. We'll mention that a bit later on as well. So Jamie, we've got a number of things which we're going to cover. We're gonna start yeah. with key sources of data, statutory data and source of data for governors, and then we'll move on to yeah. the problems with various uh, aspects of data, with progress, with pupil groups and targets, and we'll finish with our preferred approach to data. Um, and we want you as governors and schools to attain a state of data minimalism that allows governors to monitor and to challenge without getting lost in the swamp. So we're going to start with statutory data. Um, so Jamie, what do governors need to know about statutory assessments in primary? There are a lot of them. Which ones there are, there, there are and, and it's grown. Um, it, it's it's grown since lockdown, actually. So because um, lockdown actually delayed the rollout of some form, some forms of statutory assessment. So first of all, let's make clear what we're talking about when we talk about statutory assessment. I mean, the, the, the clue is in the name, so it, it's probably obvious, but I'll, I'll mention this anyway. Um, when we talk about data, there are basically two types. We can broadly divide it into two types. There's statutory assessment. That's the stuff that schools have to do, obviously. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then there's the more sort of internal assessment data, uh, the tracking of children's progress um, month to month, term to term, year to year. Uh, so that's not necessarily statutory. Often that's an additional type of data collection. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. It's also very important, but that's not the stuff that Ofsted's interested in. Ofsted are interested in the statutory assessment results. So we now have potentially, uh, well, six 
uh, it actually it could be eight um, assessment points a child now goes through. So we start in the reception with the reception baseline. This is a fairly new uh, assessment. It's been running now for two years. So the current reception year and the current year one have done this. So it's quite new. Um, this is designed to provide a baseline for future progress measures. We won't see these progress measures until 2028 when the first cohort of reception baseline get to the end of key stage two because it measures progress from the reception, beginning of reception to the end of key stage two. So there's our first one. Now it is important to note that whilst this is a statutory assessment, the scores, the output, the results from that particular assessment are not being revealed or shared with schools. They are being locked away and you probably won't see, you may never see the results of these, that particular assessment. Then at the end of the reception year, we have the foundation stage profile, uh, which is a more sort of observational over time. Um, so whereas the reception baseline is you, one teacher sits down with one child and they set up some tasks and the child attempts the tasks and then you, you, you record whether they can do those tasks or not and it generates a score, which you don't see. The, the foundation stage profile, the end of foundation stage, the end of early years um, is really important. Um, and it's more sort of based on teachers' observations over time. And, and it assesses chi a, a child's uh, development against 17 goals. Uh, so this is not just about reading and writing and maths. This is also about physical development and personal, social, emotional development. So it's a really important and very, very broad assessment. Then we get into year one where uh, we have the first, uh, we have the phonics assessment, which is um, a, a, a something that the government are very, very keen on. Um, and, and to illustrate just how keen the government are on this particular assessment, it is worth uh, noting that during the two years of the pandemic and lockdowns, no statutory assessment took place. There was no reception baseline. There was no early years foundation stage profile, no key stage one, no key stage two, no GCSEs, no A-levels, no, um, no, no university exams going on. The only statutory assessment that took place was the phonics test. So that sort of seems to take precedent over everything. They didn't do it in the summer. They moved it into the autumn term, but it still, it still took place. So in year one, we have the phonics assessment. Now, if a child doesn't pass the phonics standard in year one, uh, then the, key, the government are very keen that they do because there is a strong correlation between meeting the phonics standard and, and going on to meet expected standards later on. That, that child will then do it again in year two. So if they don't pass it in year one, they go on and do it in year two. Also in year two, we have key stage one. So key stage one assessments of reading, writing, maths and science. Um, there are tests in reading and maths. There aren't for writing and science, but there are tests in reading and maths. Um, and that those tests are they're, they're fairly important, but they are designed to inform the teacher assessment. And it is the teacher assessment that um, the government collects. Then in year four, we have another new assessment. We have the multiplication check, which is an online assessment. A child sits down at a computer and they sit there and there's the, there's the portal there that they log into and up comes a series of 25 uh, multiplication uh, table questions. They have six seconds to record their answer. This is the, the last year's current year five, when they're in year four, that was the first cohort to do it. We've only got one um cohort with those scores at the moment so you have no trend in that data and really what the government are keen on is children get them all right so get 25 out of 25 that's what they really want and then at the end of year six we have key stage two of course which have been around for a while now um children take tests in reading and in maths and in grammar punctuation and spelling 
and they get a teacher assessment of writing and a teacher assessment of science and all that data is submitted to the government and the government currently um, are very focused on the results of all these um, assessments but possibly most on the key stage two and it's the key stage two data that is mainly used to hold schools to account so this leads on to our sources of data we will see um, attainment measures the percentage of children meeting expected standards and also progress measures so the currently the progress is measured from key stage one to key stage two and in future it will be measured further back from the reception beginning of reception to the end of key stage two so that in a nutshell are the sources of statute are, are the statutory assessments that take place in primary schools Exactly. And for governors who've been governors for a while, you'll have seen that some of those, Jamie, you've just said that some of these things have been added in. So the multiplication screening check and so on is relatively new. Yeah. Phonics is maybe 10 years old now. Um, so there's a number of things, things which have gone on. Um, and I think the point which we often make is it's quite different in secondary. So as primary governors, what you're able to get, you get quite a lot of statutory data. Um, uh, some of that, you know, is is very useful, but um, but it's very different in secondary. Um, there are obviously there are only two points in most secondary schools. If it's a through secondary, you'll get GCSE at key stage four, and then you'll get A levels at key stage, uh, key stage five, and that's it. In secondary, they have yeah. two um, sources of data, whereas we have a lot more. So you get all that information, and it can be confusing to to um, work through that information because there have been a number of things which we now know about that information. So one of the things is that um, the DFP have, have have now they've been encouraged to, and they now um, aim to look at presenting presenting at least three years worth of data where they can and try to get people to move away from looking at individual cohorts because we know in primary um, the number of pupils in an in individual cohort can be quite small. Um, so that we try to look at grouping things together so that you can look at um, uh, just try and interpret that data. But they've also done other things to help us. So there are other sources of data that we get. Um, mm. So let's have a look at these then, Jamie. So, the, so these, these ones are the slightly more complicated in as much as there are all kinds of acronyms that you, that you need to oh, yeah, know. Absolutely. absolutely. So we've got the inspection um, uh, dashboard summary the report. Data summary report, yeah. So they've done yeah. summary sport. We've got the ASP, yeah. uh, and there's all these different things. Performance tables, DFE statistics. So um, let's, let's talk through these, Jamie, because these have got an interesting history. And these things have generally been put in place to try and help to interpret this statutory data. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I say help loosely. <laughs> well, give us a bit, a bit of a history of the ISDR, for example, in a few of Okay. So. Um... We, we currently have, and, and I, will, I will stress this, that the most probably the most important document that you absolutely as a governor, you need to have sight of whether you are a primary governor or a, uh, a secondary governor, you need to have sight of the inspection data summary report, the IDSR, um, which is Ofsted's view of the performance of your school. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute. And some of you, uh, many of you probably will remember something called the RAISE report. Uh, RAISE was also an acronym, but I can't, raising something or other, I can't remember what it stands for to be honest but um you may remember the dark old days when we were we were sort of had this this raise report was printed out and dumped in front of us and it was 103 pages long uh, 103 pages of binary it was uh it broke all these different results down from foundation stage and phonics and key stage one and key stage two particularly it, it broke all this data down into 
uh, into all the obviously the different subjects, but all the different subgroups of pupils. And we'll come back to the groups, the pupil groups in a bit. So we had 103 pages long. And then at some point they decided, well, that's a bit too long. Let's trim this down. And even when they trimmed it down, it was still over 60 pages long. So in 2017, the first Ofsted inspection data summary report came out, and that was 22 pages long, so it was fairly detailed. And then in 2018, it was trimmed down and that version was half the size, it was 11 pages long. And then in 2019, that version of the IDSR was uh, seven pages long. And now the IDSR is even shorter than that. It's about four or five pages long. And I think what happened in between, well, 2017, 2018, was there was an increasing awareness uh, that maybe some of this data, and certainly the way we've been breaking down the data, um, was not particularly useful, reliable, meaningful, statistically valid to break all this data down into all these different groups. So now we have this IDSR, and the IDSR is supposed to summarize the performance of schools at these uh, the, and in a primary that would be um, key stage what phonics key stage one and key stage two. There's nothing on the multiplication check yet, but no doubt that will come. Interestingly, the foundation stage profile, which used to that so the something like say that the percentage of children reaching a good level of development at the end of reception that was a key measure reaching a good level of development was achieving all the main um, early learning goals, reaching all those early, um, early learning goals. Uh, that now has been stripped out. So that that foundation stage profile data has gone from the IDSR and from the analyzed school performance, the ASP system. Some of you may see reports from that as well. So the government seems to be seems to be moving away from using uh, the earliest foundation stage profile. They go, we're not going to use that anymore for these performance measures. I think maybe there's some concern about that data becoming uh, distorted. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the risks of distortion of data. So the IDSR is absolutely vital. You must see it. Um, but it is very, very brief. And also what I really I like that. I like that it's brief. Um, I like that um, it, it's it's it, there's there's no kind of ambiguity because what they're doing now is rather than presenting you with tables of numbers, tables of data, they're presenting you with sentences, and a sentence is generated if your data, if your school's results, say at key stage two, cross certain thresholds, it needs to um, meet certain criteria in order for a sentence uh, to be generated. Uh, those criteria are the data needs to be significantly, um, and I'm sure Richard will have something to talk about this, um, statistically significantly above national average or statistically significantly below national average and in the top or the bottom 20% of schools. So it is possible that you could be significantly above national average, but not in the top 20%, which sounds a bit bizarre, really, because you think, well, if I'm significantly above, surely I must be up there. Um, anyway, your data needs to be significantly above or below and in the top or bottom 20% of schools in order for a sentence to be generated. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that when you view your IDSR online, there is an option to remove the gray text. So if there's nothing to say, the sentence is just gray. It just says, there's nothing to highlight here. Go on to the next bit. There's nothing to highlight here. Go on to the next bit. There's nothing to highlight here. So a lot of senior leaders, teachers and governors are looking at this IDSR and say, it doesn't say anything. It's just a load of grayed out sentences that say there's nothing to highlight. And that's Ofsted saying, well, we've analyzed your data and we've decided that it's not statistically significant. So we're not going to say anything about it. 
we're just going to push that to one side so often you open these things and it just doesn't tell you anything that means that off if 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 say your your key stage two progress is not highlighted is not significantly above and in the top 20 or significantly below in the bottom 20 then Ofsted will not have anything to focus on there because it's not statistically significant whereas before with raise they just gave you the numbers 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 and you were kind of left to your own devices as to how you interpreted that and you get 10 people around a table and you can interpret it 10 different ways now if it's if it meets the criteria sentence is generated if it doesn't meet the criteria no sentence generated grayed out so that's a uh, that's a good thing i don't know if you want to come in here richard and say anything about well, just a couple of things for governors to understand how how we, how things have changed over time. Again, if you've been a governor for a while, you'll have seen these changes happen. So during the 2010s, um, there was quite a move by the DfE to use the information which was being generated within schools, this statutory data which we had. Um, so they were quite interested in that because suddenly there was a lot of information that was available and it could be analysed and it could be crunched. And they chose to do it in various ways. They tried to interpret it in a way that would, would support schools and support governors. Um, but what they ended up doing, as uh, Jamie said, that they ended up using a lot of tests of statistical significance. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that most people aren't um, statisticians and they're not fully aware of, of the issues um, within statistical significance testing and so on. Um, I wrote a whole book which basically said statistical significance testing. It is a it's a it's a valid technique within statistics. But it's designed to um, to look at um, data which is uh, which is distributed in a particular way, and that data essentially has to be has to be identically um, and independently distributed, which essentially means that you're assuming that any child in any school is is completely independent, um, so they're not they're not the same as the person sitting next to them in any significant way. Um, but of course, we know that that's important, and I'm using the word significant there in the everyday word uh, way of using it which is important now the problem with statistical significance is it sounds like it means important but it doesn't it means um worth looking at because it's slightly unusual to a statistician so if something's statistically significant it means it's worth looking at not that it's important it's it's different in a way that that suggests that i should look at that to see if i can see why can i interpret it you should interpret it yourself the interpretation isn't that it's that it's important the interpretation the 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 the, uh, the word means have a look at it because it might be interesting in some way so that's basically where we've come from the good thing with the idsr now and the fact that we're um the the, the way which it works the idea is that um it, 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 it now when you're probably not being misdirected to to make assumptions which aren't warranted and we'll talk yeah. about this in a bit but that's what often happened within uh, under rays people would look at things things would be labeled as being significant that seemed to mean that that was important inspectors would assume, would assume that they're important and those working in school often who don't have a lot of statistical training would also tend to think well that maybe that's important they now understand Ofsted now understands that actually that was that was distorting what we were doing so as lots of you will know Ofsted's focus these days is very different it's in primary schools it's basically about early reading reading through key stage two and making sure that you're actually you've got a sequence curriculum that makes sense and that the children are actually learning the things which you want them to learn that's very different to to what we where we used to be which was largely it was a very big progress focus so again it's really good to, to see um uh, that the isdr is out there you should look at it if you do see something that has been highlighted um then it is worth investigating that and saying to the school and saying to your school leaders um 
what's your interpretation of this? Why do you think this this statement has been has been made within the um, if if there's if there's no statement, then the good news there is okay. Let's focus on the other things: early reading, reading through key stage two, and uh, and the curriculum. Those are probably more of your focus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just because you've got something flagged up, even it doesn't necessarily mean, as you're saying, doesn't mean that it's good or it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just, as you say, it means that it's interesting. And um, and you'll, you'll notice now that these these sentences, they're not written by a human being. They're drawn from a bank of statements and those are available online. You can see the entire bank of statements. If you Google inspection day summary report, you'll find the support documents. And one of those is like the entire list of sentences that a school can possibly get. Um, so they're, they're not written by a human. They're generated. They're drawn from a bank. And, and it's only if your data is uh, deemed to be significantly above and in the top 20 percent or significantly below and the bottom 20 percent. But they refer to them now as areas of interest, yeah. not areas of concern, because they originally called them areas of concern, which is a bit like, uh, well, I think that's a misnomer and it's a bit alarming. Uh, they call them areas of interest. So it's something that's going to generate a conversation, certainly. And as governors, you'll want to preempt that. You'll want to get in there and ask those questions before an officer inspector shows up and asks those questions. So you understand why it was that that particular area was deemed to be significantly below. There is usually uh, often a, a reason behind these things. I, 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 and it can be contextual. So it can be about that particular cohort. And that's why we need to understand the context um, of cohorts. Uh, it, one, of the, one of the problems with our system, our, our accountability system, is it's not very good at measuring or monitoring one particular cohort through time. That would be more useful. I would like to be able to look at data that tells me something about that cohort when they were there, 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 there. But because we have this kind of dog's breakfast of bolted on assessments like you know foundation stage profile and then we've got phonics and then we've got key stage one and then we've got the multiplication key stage two we've often got quite different approaches to some different types of assessment so it's not very good at measuring progress over time so what we end up doing and i think this is a bit of a mistake is comparing the performance of that cohort to the previous cohort to the previous cohort and whilst it's inevitable and it's important that we do that we have to understand that that cohort comparing them to that cohort they're very, very different cohorts. That cohort has got far more children with special educational needs in, um, far more low prior attaining children in, far more summer born children. And these are things that are really important to understand. Exactly. So again, it's really key to understand um, as governors that where the data comes from, the fact that we have these statutory assessments, those are then crunched by, um, I say, by DfE um, statisticians. They now generate these these statements for us, and we get these, I say, useful feedback that definitely now say to you, have a look at this. If this has been flagged, it's for you to to, to ask the school what do, what's your interpretation of this, because that's the kind of conversation that uh, offset inspectors. As and when they come to school, they'll be asking similar kinds of questions. Rather than making assumptions, they'll ask some questions. Now, so that's really useful. So you've got that information, and you know that the the, the focus has been changed to 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 ask questions. There are a few other things that can help you as governors, just in terms of trying to place your, what's happening within your school um, in a in a broader context. So this is where we have the ASP, the performance tables, and the other tools that we have. So Jamie, in terms of those ones, those are probably what what do governors need to know about those those broader context tools uh let's start let's start with the performance tables because the, the performance tables is kind of a, a stripped down version of asp really um the, the performance tables are public 
uh, and I'm sure that you've seen them. If you Google DFE performance tables, I think it's called the Compare School Performance website. So I think they may have changed the name of it recently. But anyway, you can go on there and you can uh, find any primary school that, uh, and any secondary school is on there. Now, it only deals with two types of data. It deals with, uh, it, well, it, in a primary, it just deals with Key Stage 2. In a secondary, it's got uh, Key Stage 4 and 5. But in a primary, it's just Key Stage 2. So it will show the attainment at Key Stage 2, the percentages meeting expected standards in reading, writing and maths, and the percentage achieving greater depth for the higher standard, because there is a higher standard in reading, writing and maths. And it shows the progress in reading and in writing and in maths. I think we'll come back to how progress is measured in, in a bit. So uh, if you've got a Key Stage 2 cohort, it will show that data. It does suppress the data if you've got fewer than six children in the cohort. So if there are fewer than six, then uh, they won't put the data. Now, what's really interesting is Ofsted in their IDSR have taken a slightly different approach. They are suppressing data and graying it out. If they say, well, if you've got fewer than 11 children, we're not even going to bother starting with uh, any analysis of this or performing any statistical analysis on this. If you've got fewer than 11, it's just all going to be grayed out. OK, we're not even going to get to the point of performing a statistical test on this. It's all going to be grayed out. So Ofsted, fewer than 11. The performance tables, fewer than six. Why? I'm not entirely sure. But the performance tables are out there normally. The performance tables didn't happen, were not published during 2020 and 2021 for obvious reasons. There were no statutory assessments in those years. Um, so we've obviously got cohorts of children going through the system at the moment that have data missing. So the current year eight and nine do in secondary do not have key stage two results. The current year four and five, for example, in primary, do not have key stage one results. But anyway, um, so yeah, performance tables, public domain, you can find all that information. But this year, despite key stage two happening last year, this year they decided again not to publish them. So one more year, you get a, a bit of respite. They're not publishing the performance tables this year. But normally it shows whether your school is well above average or well below average, significantly above, significantly below. ASP, very similar. It's uh, made in the same kind of format by the same people. But ASP has data on and ASP is you have to get a login for it. It's not public domain. Your head teacher will have a login for that and you can download data and reports from it. And it does have data on Key Stage 2 and on Key Stage 1 and on um, phonics and what have you. So it's got more data in it. Um, how useful it is? I think it suffers from a bit of raise-itis, really. I think that there's, a, um, unlike the minimal approach of the IDSR, it has a lot of group-level data. So, and a lot, I think we've become quite comfortable with that, that we're used to data being broken down into boys, girls, send, um, people premium, you know, free school meal, people premium groups, uh, all those sort of different, maybe ethnicity groups. We're used to data being broken down in all this way, which is what they did in RAISE. They're still there in ASP, but, well, we might as well talk about this now. I have a major problem with this. So uh, I, I, I know that data is often delivered this way. I know that as governors, we're used to have, seeing data broken down into all these different subgroups of pupils. Um, I, I, I'm just, it just concerns me, particularly in primary, because the groups are often very, very small. Exactly. We'll come to that. So, yeah, let's come to that yeah. because there's a, there's a number of pro problems when you're starting to compare things. And yeah. as you say, it has been interesting because the, the government website that Compare School Performance has been um, has been um, developed um, this year. They've just called it Find 
um, school performance data. Yeah. So and, and they're actively encouraging people not to compare things. Despite this, you'll That's still true. be thinking of the press and, and, and there have been various, there were various discussions over, you know, when various things are reported, the press, the press tend to want to talk about, they want to rank things and say, well, who looks like the best school and so on. So, so yes, yeah, so yeah. there've been a few changes there. Um, yeah. So we're going to come on to a few things, uh, other things. I'm going to say thank you very much to those people who are putting questions in the Q&A. And if you could do that, um, uh, pop those in and then we'll pick things up as they come. So, for example, um, we've got a question about um, what ASP stands for. Um, and Analyze school performance. Sorry if I didn't say that. Analyze school performance. performance. Yep. Analyze school performance. Um, and as you said, uh, Jamie, it is something which as a governor, um, you should get access to, yes. um, as I say, um, you might want some advice um, to, to understanding it and to see what it was, uh, what it says and, um, and how you might interpret it. Um, but yes, analyze school performance and it's something which, which your um, senior team will be able to give you access to. Okay, yeah. excellent. So um, there's a few things. So we're, hopefully now, governors, you're really thinking about the fact that you've got all this information, you've been given all of these um, uh, interpretations of the information, um, you're being asked to then look at that and say, okay, well, what might this might mean? What questions should I be asking of the school as a result of this information I'm getting? Um, it's probably worth at this point saying, um, Jamie, there are a few other um, external tools as well where you can use things which try to summarize. Insight, for example, do pretty good um, summaries of yeah, things. I mean, so providers absolutely so so um I'll, I'll i think we'll get on to the internal data so schools usually have a tracking system uh where they put their regular assessments in it could be teacher assessments and test scores and things and, and and from that they can track children's progress over time which is what we want to try and do um and therefore we can produce reports for governors that's not necessarily based on statutory assessments sort of more based on internal assessments there are other tools so you might have heard of fft for example fisher family trust they produce some really good uh dashboards the key stage two dashboard is is uh, a very a lovely format so that's something else that you might get to see um and then there are some um websites that the EEF toolkit, the the, uh, the families of schools database, that's it. So that will show you how your school compares to other schools with similar percentages of disadvantaged children. So that's another useful tool. So it will show you where you rank, you know, our school's got this many disadvantaged children and our results are this, this it will show you in a graph, in a bar graph, where your results sort of rank amongst schools, similar schools. Um, FFT have got a similar one called schools like yours, which is a, pub these are publicly available actually, schools like yours, and the um, EEF Families of Schools database, um, both of those will contextualize your data. You know, they will show you how you compare your results compared to similar schools. Because things like ASP and the performance tables and the IDSR, they don't compare you to similar schools, they compare you to all schools. So if you want some idea of how your results compare to schools that are like yours in terms of, you know, proportions of send, proportions of disadvantaged, et cetera, et cetera, then you're not going to get that from ASP, uh, really. You're not going to get that from IDSI. You need to look at explore other tools. Exactly. Excellent. So hopefully, again, you've got that broader context than governors. So there's a couple of questions that have come up just about um, uh, when this data is released. So obviously, uh, pupils are assessed at various points. Um, and then uh, all that information is then crunched. And then um, it's released at various points. And there's various checking points. So Jamie, in terms of ASP, broadly, when's that released? And when is that? Uh, right? Well, ASP normally would be would be out the first batch of data would be out in ASP uh, pretty early, usually expected to be sort of October, um, around sort of half term time, maybe 
baby. It's only just come out now, apparently. Key Stage 2 data, I saw a tweet earlier. Key Stage 2 data has literally just got into... The IDSR has been around for a while. That's been out for a few weeks now, a couple of weeks. Um, but ASP has only just been populated with the Key Stage 2 data. Doesn't have the Key Stage 1 in. Why this is, I, I don't know. I don't know why there's this lag. You get like, oh, Key Stage 2 arrives, and then a few weeks later, the Key Stage 1 arrives, and then a few weeks later. And it seems like early as Foundation Stage data they're not putting that in anymore but that was always the last one to appear so um schools get their key stage two results back in july and then in september there's a thing called the checking exercise and the checking exercise will provide you uh, with your progress measures and it's also an opportunity to check through the results and say right well that's wrong that child shouldn't be in there we need to have that one removed and you can apply to have certain children discounted from data one of the most common reasons by the way for having a child discounted from data is because they're a recent arrival from overseas arrive in year five or six from a country where they, they, they don't speak English as a, they speak English as an additional language and they're from a non-English speaking country and what have you. So you can apply to have children um, like that uh, discounted from data. So there's a checking exercise in September um, and that gives you your progress measures. The IDSR usually comes out sort of October, November time, as does the ASP normally. And the performance tables, which aren't being published this year, but the performance tables uh, come out in uh, December. You'll see reference to provisional data in ASP and then final data. So they bring out some provisional data and they'll say, this is provisional. Don't, you know, if, if you've applied to have any children removed or if there's any issues with this data that you're challenging, then this won't be reflected in this data set. It will be reflected in the later data set, which will have final stamped on it. So final is not out yet, but there is some provisional data out. Excellent. Okay. And in terms of governance, if you're interested as to when these things are released, there are a few things you can sign up to. So you can sign up to email alerts from the DFE, yes. which will give you some information. But um, so and that if you search on the DFE website for email um, alerts uh, for data, um, they'll give it. I, don't, is there any, I can't think there's a particular the way that we can direct you, you there, Jamie, but there is that. The other thing to do is that both Jamie and I are fairly active on uh, Twitter, whilst Twitter yes. still continues to exist. Um, and Jamie, you're always very good at, uh, at pointing when things are, are, um, are out Absolutely. there. So again, um, our um, um, Twitter handles are at Jay Pembroke for you, Jamie, and I'm at Data Busting. So again, so you could look at those as well. Um, it's a bit, it's one of those things. If you're particularly interested in data, then, then there are ways for you to get that information. Yes. Okay, so I think we've, we've had a really good look again at those summaries, and we've got some good questions coming into this next section of this chat. So there's three things we really want to have a look at. We're going to look at some of the problems. So first, we're going to have a look at progress and what yes. that means to the DfE and, and and what that has meant within schools and, and what's happened as a result of it of that being used um, as, a, as a measure. We're also going to have a look at um, pupil groups and what you need to know about pupil groups um, and get a bit of the history and, and some of the issues around that. And then the other one is about um, targets. These ones we've called problems because each of these at different times have caused big problems. Yes. So let's have a look at the, the problems with progress to start with. So Jamie, in terms of governance, what do you need? To, what do they need to know about progress measures? How do they currently stand? as they're changing um, and it's worth thinking again about what how we might interpret progress so um uh progress is, is, is this is this is a, a mile deep and a mile wide this is a, this is a big big deal this and i understand why 
but so first of all the dfe calculates school's progress and at the moment they calculate it from key stage one to key stage two so children child gets to key stage two uh and, and they calculate their progress from key, their key stage one result to their key stage two result and i'll get into how they do that in a minute and it will move to from the to a new measure which will go from the reception baseline to to the end of key stage two now we talk about progress all the time and i understand why governors want to have progress measures and why you, you look at you, you sat there and sit there in a governor meeting and, and you're talking about year three and year four and year five and you go what progress how much progress are they making um now we can try and possibly do something to measure that child's those children's progress in in year three and year four and year five but whatever we do and this is important whatever we do it will not match what the dfe do so we cannot predict. And in fact, it actually says this in the primary accountability guidance, which is a hefty document that explains how progress is measured. One of the things it does state is you cannot predict progress measures. It's an in-year measure and children are that the benchmarks children are compared to change every single year as they recalculate. Um, as more data comes out the next year, they'll recalculate the benchmarks and the year after they'll recalculate the benchmarks. So all children are compared to all other children in that particular year. So. You can't predict progress measures. You can't calculate them in advance. And um, it's a bit of a mugs game to try and do so. So the other problem is in order to try and measure something, you've got to define what it is. So the government have got their way of doing things. And that's sort of a fairly fixed methodology called value added, which I'll explain in a minute. So in between times, you go, but we want a progress measure of the year one and the year two and the year three and the year four. We want we want a progress measure. And, and a lot of schools do kind of tie themselves in knots trying to come up with something. You may remember levels. Levels were used to measure progress. And really, in the end, it broke levels because we took a level and we subdivided into sub levels and then we subdivided into sub sub levels. And we were pretending that children went from a 2B to a 2B plus and no one really knew what a 2B plus was and no one really knew what a point of progress was. But we pretended that these things existed because everyone wanted these sort of these these progress measures. There are still schools that are doing these things. There are schools, still schools, obviously, that are inventing progress measures. They are invented. They don't they're not standardized. They're not benchmarked really against anything. Well, often they're not um, benchmarked against anything. Uh, they are usually some form of kind of level style system. Um, and they don't really have a great deal of uh, basis in reality, in my opinion. I think you're better off focusing on um, snapshots of attainment. So looking at, well, in this year group, what proportion of children are working at expected standards? And then a year later, what proportion of that year group are now working at expected standards? Has it gone up? Has it gone down? Those are facts. But if you're being presented with data that says, oh, on average, this year group have made 3.7 points or steps of progress, that probably means nothing. So I think it's worth, sorry, go. I can't hear you. You're on mute, Richard. Um, you realise that I was chatting, but um, I didn't say anything because I had quite. I was typing quite. I was answering some questions in the background. So, governors, it's worth saying that um, that the word progress is an interesting one. So, it's it's now got two very distinct meanings. In the 2010s, um, it very much meant uh, a numerical measure, yes. starting at A looking at B and looking at what had happened between the two things. So it very much was a numerical and there was a, a sense of expected progress. There were measures of expected progress. These things were actually removed a long time ago. It's almost 10 years ago since schools were talking about expected progress, but it still exists as a concept, which is why you'll hear people talk in school about progress as almost a numerical measure. Um, the other sense of progress is the way which Ofsted use it, which is um, do pupils uh, know and understand more? 
um, each year or each time you assess them in school as they move through school. Um, so the Ofsted um, uh, understanding of progress is, is more curriculum based now. It used to be more numerically based. And it's worth understanding that there's, it's a quite a key distinction. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's it, to, to really hammer this home, I think it's worth thinking about children with special educational needs. So if you have a, 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 a group of children with special education needs, the chances are those needs are quite diverse. Now, to say how much progress have they made and is it good progress is a really, really difficult question to answer unless you just think about each child individually. We certainly can't group them together and say, oh, on average, they've made this much progress. Um, their pro what, what constitutes very good progress for one child is probably not what you constitutes very good progress for another. And you're probably measuring it in different ways and assessing them in different ways. And they've got different needs anyway. So on one child, you're focusing on this thing, another child focusing on these things. So it's very difficult to measure progress on a common scale. You're probably using different types of assessments for, the, for these children. So um, I, I think... I, I will give an analogy now. Into, this is how the government measure progress. So they, they, it's, it's called value added. We used to have these levels of progress measures. As Richard said, those are gone. Uh, this concept of making expected progress, two levels of progress is gone. So we now have a value added measure. Value added measure involves comparing a child's attainment at key stage two to the average attainment of children nationally with the same start point as them. So the analogy I usually give is, is a race analogy. So um, imagine you're a keen runner and you're going, you've, you're going to do a race and you, and you, you rock up on, uh, on race day and you go to, to register and you sign on. And they, um, before they give you your race number, they say, oh, we're doing things a bit differently this year. Um, we want, we're putting people into pace groups, which is kind of what they do. You have elite groups that start first and what have you. We're putting people into pace groups. So which pace group do you want to go? We've got a slow and we've got a medium and we've got a fast pace group. And you're feeling pretty fit and you've trained hard. You go, I'll go in the fast pace group. And they say, oh, good. Well, put this purple vest on. So you put this purple vest on and this is going on all over the country. You're in your race. Over there is another race. And over there in another county, there's another race. So all over the country, there are these races going on. And there are people wearing purple vests and there are people wearing orange vests and there are people wearing red vests that denote their pace group. So off you go and you do your 10K race and you finish in 41 minutes and you're really chuffed because it's the first, it's your personal best. It's the first time you've ever run under 42. So you've done this 41 minute. But... The organizers of the race aren't going to compare you to the average time. And let's say the average time is 51 minutes and you're 10 minutes faster than the average time that day. The, the, the organizers of the race aren't interested in that. What the organizers of the race are interested in is comparing your time of 41 minutes to the average time nationally. There's all these races going on all over the place of runners wearing purple vests. So and it just so happens that the average time of people wearing purple vests is 37 minutes so you're 41 the average is 37 you've got a minus four score and that's exactly what they do that's what the dfe do they say well what did you score in your key stage two test i got 103 and nationally on average what did this type of child with this type of start point get they got uh 101 therefore your score is is plus two but if it was 107 then it would be minus four so each child gets a progress score that compares their actual score to this benchmark, which is the average national average for children with the same start point. Um, you then take the cohort of, say, 30 children or 60 children. Each child has got a difference. You are going to add up all of those differences. So this child beat their benchmark by four. This child fell short of their benchmark by five. Some children are plus four. Some children are minus five. Some children are plus seven. Some children are minus ten. 
add them all up, divide by 30 children in the cohort, and it comes to minus 2.5. So your progress score ends up being minus 2.5. That's what's reported in the IDSR. That's what's reported in ASP. That's what's reported in the performance tables, minus 2.5, which means on average, children in your school uh, missed their benchmarks or scored two and a half points less on their tests than similar children nationally. And by similar children, I don't mean contextually similar, I just mean based on prior attainment. So that score, that progress score that your, your school gets is the average difference between what children actually got in their tests and what they might be expected to get in their tests. It's the best way I could describe it. Exactly. Okay, so again, and it's quite complicated. We, we understand this, governors, because a lot of people in schools don't understand this particularly well. Uh, yeah. I think Jamie's analogy is, is really useful there. Again, just a couple of people have asked this. We are recording things, um, and we will release this in various ways, so you can get access to this. If you want to go back and listen to that, you'll probably find it quite useful. Um, one of the things that somebody has raised is, well, what happens if... Now, this is the problem with any kind of data, of course. Yes. What happens if, because the basic assumption is that everything will work perfectly, but of course it never does. So what happens if you've got a child who doesn't have any key stage one data? What happens if you've got a child who joins your school? What happens if? What happens if you're a junior school or if you're an infant school? How do all these things happen? So, Jamie, this is one of the other issues with progress um, measures because there are so many anomalies as to, as to become that the anomalies are almost the norm. Yes, so uh, there are many issues. If you don't have key stage one data, you're not included. OK, they don't make up some key stage one. You're not included. So if a child um, at key stage one was not in the country um, or if they were home educated at that point and then ended up in a primary school um, or if they come from the private school system or they've come from uh, Wales, even, you know, they don't have key stage one assessments there that transport across. So in any of those cases, you don't have key stage one. You will not be included in the pros measure. If you've arrived in year four or five or whatever from overseas, then you will not be included um, in, in the progress measure because you won't have key stage one results. So that's that's a given. That's that's definite. Now, one of the problems for schools, and this is where things start to fall down, um, is um, if you've got a child that arrives in your school uh, from uh, another school in year six, and let's say that child has been through a whole bunch of different schools, has got a lot of different issues that are, you know, you're trying to support them with, but they've arrived in year six. You've had very little chance to help that child. They've arrived in March. They're only, only two months before the, uh, the SATs. It, it, they're they're going to be included in your progress measure. They, when they arrive, if they've got key stage one, they bring it with them and they slot into your system, they slot into your progress measures. Um, so if a child has key stage one, regardless of where they did that key stage one, if they arrive in your school, that is going to be used as their baseline. It's not apportioned out. They say, well, you've only had this child for a year or half a year. So we'll just give you that much of the progress and the rest of it can go to the previous school. It doesn't work like that. Um, another issue are children with special educational needs um, because often they don't sit tests at key stage two. So how can they get a result at key stage two? Well, what the government basically do is make one up. So they are assessed as something called pre-key stage. Um, if they don't sit tests, not all, a lot of send, children with send will sit the test, but if they don't sit the test, then they'll be assessed as pre-key stage. And according to which level of pre-key stage they're at, that will be assigned a score, what they call a nominal score. It's basically a quasi-key stage two result, and that is used for the progress measure. Now, one of the sad uh, facts of this system is that children with send who do not sit tests at key stage two are almost guaranteed to get a negative progress score. 
it's not a very uh, fair system, really. One of the issues is that they are grouped together with another group of children that have low start points. They might both have low start points at key stage one, but they're often they, th those low start point groups at key stage one that they're all grouped together are, are actually can be very diverse. So you could have in that one low start point group, um, you could have a bunch of children with SEND, but also in that low start point group, you could have a bunch of EAL children who have no other special education need. But at key stage one, maybe their language um, barriers meant that they ended up with quite a low assessment. Um, the system can't tell the difference between a child with low start point who has SEND and a child with a low start point for whom English is an additional language. It just treats them all the same, um, puts them into the same group, says, oh, you've got low prior attainment, you're the same. And then at key stage two, they end up getting often EAL children um, who've been in the system for quite a long time, been in the school system for quite a long time, end up with very high, have very high progress scores. Uh, and unfortunately, children with SEND that don't sit tests are almost nailed on to get negative progress scores. So that's another problem. Some schools that have the lowest um, progress scores are those schools that are doing the most for children with special educational needs. They might have a resource base. Uh, and that resource base, which is almost, it's like a SEND unit within the school, but it's not separate. So their results are treated as being part of the main school. Um, they are part of the main school. Um, so that, that so you end up with this, oh, look at that school. It's got a progress score of minus three and it's significantly below average and in the bottom 10% nationally. But it might be because they've got a SEND resource base. They're highly inclusive and lots to work with children with quite complex uh, needs. Um, so there are, multiple problems with the system exactly um and again so there's all kinds of issues there with progress um so it is one of those things that you just need to be very aware of i say these two different ideas of progress the fact that uh, numerical progress scores which the um, department of education provide it's there are still issues there because um for uh, all the reasons that jamie has um has outlined um and it's also worth saying and a couple of people have asked in the chat about internal progress measures Again, nobody is looking for an internal progress measure that's a, that's a numerical measure. Ofsted are not going to ask that there's, there's plenty of evidence there. You'll find that in a number of schools, that maybe in your school, people are still a bit concerned about it, but there's 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 more than enough evidence now that Ofsted are, have been true to their word and they are not looking at, there are, there are a number of statements that they put out, they're not looking at internal data. data. And so therefore uh, measures of internal progress, they just simply don't make a great deal of sense. So I think it's worth going on because we've now got, we've got about 10 minutes left. There's a couple of things we want to have a look at. So very quickly, we'll have a look at problems with pupil groups and with targets and then we'll have a look at what we actually suggest so i think jamie you've touched on it in terms of pupil groups yeah. let's just yeah so bottom. um we we are used to data being broken down as group and i said that they do this in ASP. certainly did this in rays and maybe in your governor meetings you'll see data broken down by boys and girls and people premium and what have you it, you absolutely uh cannot avoid um uh, the, the, the people premium thing you need to know how much money you're getting and what it's being spent on and how effective that is then that, that that's more of a kind of a narrative around that really in conversations with senior leaders um my problem with the group thing and uh thankfully uh, amanda spielman her majesty's chief inspector so that the boss of ofsted has raised this and this really is reflected in the minimal idsr now with very little group level data um, my issue is the groups are often very small. You've got five disadvantaged children in a group. So that's a group. They're worth 20% each or whatever. Um, the, 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 the groups are often very small. 
you often get overlap between groups. So we've got five disadvantaged children, three of whom have special educational needs, um, two of whom are summer born. So they're often overlap between groups. One child's outlier, if you've got a, a very, very high score, a very, very low score, can skew that data. So really, um, I kind of think that, that, that there's a cohort and then there are individuals. So my advice always to governors is, you know, focus on the, the cohort measure. And if it raises any concerns, then the next stage down from that is will be a conversation. Well, there was this child that didn't pass because of this. And there was this child that didn't pass because of that. And it's more a conversation about uh, individual children, the support for individual children. So, uh, yes, I do have uh, concerns about groups. So um, I will uh, um, I'm going to read this out, actually, because I've got this somewhere um, that a speech that I, I often refer to this a speech that Amanda Spielman gave in um, 2018. She said, nor do I believe there is merit in trying to look at every individual subgroup of pupils at school level. It is very important that we monitor the progress of underperforming pupil groups, but often this is best done at national level, where they have big numbers, or possibly even at MAT or local authority level, where you've still got pretty big numbers, where meaningful trends may be identifiable, rather than at school level, where apparent differences between groups are often likely to be statistical noise. Uh, and I think that sums it up really neatly really that that's the problem it can you may it may be sort of giving the impression of something that's not actually there so you've got a, a, a 60 percent of this group achieved the expected standard and 80 percent of that group achieved the expected standard but if there's only five that's only just that five children in the group that's a, that's a 20 percent that's just one child and if there are four children in the group then it's not even one child you know so often when if you are presented with group level data converting that into a, a kind of a pupil equivalent you know a, um a, how many how many num how many children does that group that percentage gap really equate to that often will put things into context but yes um i have a problem with group level data and ofsted obviously have realized this now as that speech illustrates and the the consequence of that the outcome of that was now the idsr has very little information on groups He's still on mute. <laughs> um, background again, exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, so yeah, so um, again, uh, it's really useful to know that we used to have a lot of focus on groups. We have much less of a focus uh, on groups. One thing which we used to focus on a great more uh, um, a great deal was targets. There are all kinds of problems with targets, but the key things, Jamie, what are the what are the key issues around people um, looking at targets? Well, I, I think that in a secondary school, it makes some sense. You know, you want to know maybe the percentage of children that are on track to get a level, a grade four, a grade five or a grade nine even. That there are lots of grades on offer and to have some feel of who's going to get a strong pass or a standard pass or a very high mark or a very high grade is makes some kind of sense. Um, I, I just feel that in primary schools, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, I, I, I worry about I just think that everyone should meet the expected standard, you know, so so setting a target for 72% um, of children to meet expected standards or 80% or 85, often the target is just, well, look at the result we got last year and add 3% or add 5% and just hope it keeps going up. Well, should it keep going up? Um, it may be because of context, you're more likely to expect it to go down. But I don't think this is a target. I think it's more an aspiration or an expectation. The clue is in the name that all children should meet expected standards. If they sit the test, then the expectation should be that they should meet the expected standards. So basically, 100% of children that sit tests should meet expected standards. There's the target. That's it. They call it the expected standard for a reason. Um, and, and that's why. So I, I, I think that if you if you base it on prior attainment, 
then you will inevitably have children. So if you take what they got at key stage one and say, well, because they got this at key stage, they were working towards at key stage one. They didn't meet the expected standard at key stage one. Is your target for that child to be working towards at key stage two? No. If they were expected at key stage one, then your, your expectation is they'll be expected at key stage two. But if they were working towards at key stage one, then your expectation is they'll be expected at key stage two. So I just don't really see the point in setting targets. I just think that we should have an embedded aspiration in schools that expectation that they should all meet expected standards. There's your target. That's my feeling. Again, targets used to be a big thing. Um, uh, some schools will still talk about them, but we, as I suggest, um, say that they distort what's going on. They don't actually change what happens in the classroom. Um, your target should be that all the students, uh, pupils who could um, uh, access the test should reach the expected standard. So I'm we're just, very I'm much- Just on that note, I would just say there are three, there are, you often hear estimates referred to. Um, mm. That's like we what we estimate will happen based on what happens nationally on average. So that that's what they do with value added and, and benchmarking. So nationally on average, this is kind of what we might expect to happen. A target is what you want to happen. A prediction that's different. That's what you think will happen in reality. So mm. yeah, you could get you say, well, we target everyone to meet expected standards, but this is what we think is going to happen. It's probably going to be about seventy five percent. But that's fair enough. Excellent. Okay, good stuff. So um, I'm going to thank everybody for staying with us all the way through all of this. So hopefully you've now got a, a sense of um, statutory data, um, what information is collected, what information is then crunched into some kind of um, statistics that again then is shared with um, governors, with schools, so you can see roughly where we are. So we've had a good look at that. Um, the thing which we want to have a look at now then is just to finish off, and I said we'll take a few minutes over this, is just looking at our preferred approach. What we what do we recommend that governors should take, the, the approach that you should take? Um, because we want you to attain, as we said, a state of data minimalism. You've got enough information that allows you to monitor and challenge without getting lost into the swamp. So, um, Jamie, what's, what's the, how would you summarise? What should governors do to, to, to ensure they've got enough information but not too much? Right. So I think one, we've mentioned the IDSR, you need the IDSR. That's unavoidable. Um, so get the IDSR and it might be that you want those headline uh, files from ASP that show whether you're significantly above. And it's usually in nice bright colours. Um, you want something like I'm going to share my screen um, and, you know, this is uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, exactly what I think you should uh, have, but something like this. So let's go with that. Um, something that shows the results over time. Okay, so this is you could get this on a couple of pages. This is these are just examples. This shows the percentage of children meeting expected standards over time in uh, in the phonics and at key stage one and at key stage two. And there are the progress measures. And we can see the progress measures are do going down over time. So something like that is a really good um, source of information uh, that I can just refer to. I go, what were those results again? Okay, yeah, this is, gonna, this is going up. Maths are going up, right, reading's going down. Obviously that's going to uh, provide you with some questions that you can uh, challenge um, senior leaders with. So something like that is, is really, really useful. Um, three at least three years. It, well, we've got gaps. 2020 and 2021. Um, those are gaps. So you probably have sort of 2017, 18, 19, and then 2022. Um, and then so that's those are on those are results of statutory assessments. If you want data on uh, internal sort of 
assessment data, so a summary of internal assessment data, something like this, which again shows information over time. So I've got the end of one year and then a couple of terms this year. It shows the percentage of children that are working at or above expectations at the end of the summer, um, beginning of this year, halfway through this year, whatever. So we've got those percentages for year one, two, three, four, five, six, and we've got reading, writing, a maths, and combined. So something like that is a, a useful tool as well. So we've got something that shows the three years results in the statutory assessments. We've now got something that shows us what's happening in the school now with our current cohorts. I'm going to be looking for cases where the data is dropping. So year three reading, it's gone from 85% making uh, working at expected standards uh, down to 74, down to 70. So it looks like there's something going on there with reading. That might be a bit of a concern. So we're going to ask some questions. Um, I'm particularly interested. I'm going to particularly focus in on. So I've got this further bit of information in these bars here. It shows the proportion of children that are working below. Now, that's probably your main focus. If children are meeting expected standards, we don't really need any more information on them. I, I just think, you know, that's enough. You, you 77% of children in that year group are working, are, are fine. That's fine. But 23% aren't. And that might be, I don't know, eight children or whatever. Then we say, well, what is it? What about those children? And that's probably going to be eight different conversations. You go, well, five of those children have got special educational needs. The, you know, these reasons, these reasons, these reasons. They're getting support in this way. Three of them have got eight, uh, EHCPs already. One of them we're trying to get an EHCP. One of them has got the, you know, this issue. Then we've got a child who's a persistent absentee. We're trying to get them into school more. We're working with a family and that sort of thing. You know, so inside those little orange bars, the children who are kind of working just below and the red bars, children working well below, are going to be children with special needs, are going to be children with various sort of issues, children who've missed school, children who are trying to catch up, children who are just struggling with maths or whatever. And um, I would be asking, oops, sorry, uh, asking about why is it in some year groups we've got more children that are working below than in others? Uh, why is it that in some year groups that proportion of children that are working below is increasing, where in other year groups it's not? At the other end, I've also got something that shows the proportion of children that are working well above. Interesting that in year one here, very high proportion at the end of the year were working well above, and then it seems to have dipped and then disappeared. So what, what happened to them? We had all these children that were meeting these high expectations and working at greater depth or whatever you call it, and now there aren't any. So we've got an increasing proportion of children who are struggling, working below, and, it, and a decreasing proportion of children who are working above, or maybe the other way around. But something like this, um, but it gives you a lot of information, but it's not broken down by group, as you'll notice. I, I, you probably do want something about disadvantaged children, I still think that's better um, uh, based on a conversation about um, disadvantage and about needs and what have you than actually just grouping them together and comparing the, that group to another group. So this is um, this is this is fine. I think this is enough, to be honest. Um, excellent. And again, I'm going to. A couple of people have asked, you know, whereabouts is that? Where where are those um, uh, charts? What are those graphs generated? Those are generated within Insight. Insight obviously yeah. provides that. But you could generate those within any kind of system, as because you've got access to the data. The key point is um, is that schools will be generating some kind of data internally. Um, you don't want a huge amount of internal data. You just need some key bits of internal data. You need to understand as governors that a lot of that will be a little bit, I tend to refer to it as fuzzy. Um, you know, it's not it, these, it's very hard to measure a child precisely. So you need to have a little bit of, be a bit cautious in your interpretation of the, of the data which you're going to get. But you'll get this information and schools will be looking to say, well, which of these pupils do we believe are working within our curriculum, making 
good development progress within our curriculum? Who do we think are on track to be? And so on. So I have that. But you also have um, a sense as to which pupils need further support. And again, the thing which we would say is that's the key thing. What you're really trying to do with data is to identify which of the pupils need some more support in order for them to access the curriculum and to, um, you know, where possible to get them back into, into the mainstream. But sometimes that might not be the case within our school. They're still going to need some support so that you can see where the challenges are across the school. And yeah. that's the key thing which you're looking for. Yeah. So um, having having knowledge of uh, the sort of needs in your school, if, whether that's whether that's changing, how those are being supported. It's always very interesting to get a Senko come into a governor's meeting and talk to you about those different needs and, and how you're addressing those needs and what's worked and what is being you know reviewed and hasn't worked so well. Uh, all of that. That's really useful. That's not something that's easily captured in data. Awesome. Um, good stuff. Now, somebody has asked a really important question. I'm glad that you're getting into the weeds here. Somebody said, um, Graham is saying in James's example, would, wouldn't the end of year internal data be compared to the next year's data to view the attainment of the same cohort? Now that's quite interesting. So you're beginning to see that actually you need to think about what are you comparing uh what two things are you comparing and you can yeah. compare different things for all kinds of difference you may want to compare um cohorts to other cohorts or you might want to see um uh, what compare one cohort at one point compared to that cohort at another point but jane what would you say well the, 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 this is comparing the same cohort over that period of time so uh where it says like if we just take year two there 76 81 percent 85 that's 76 percent. that was the percentage of that cohort that were working at expected standards at the end of year one and this is where they are now and that's where well that's where they were at the beginning of the year and that's where they were absolutely um as, as rich said and, and as you were asking you want to be able to compare that cohort over time to see if the proportion of children that are meeting your curriculum standards is increasing or decreasing but sometimes you also want to compare like one cohort to another so actually this does uh, both because it's a, 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 a horizontally it's comparing that one cohort over time uh, vertically i can compare the year three to the year two um, ask why is it that way more children in year three are working at expected standards than in well it's not way more but uh, than than in uh, you know than in year two. Um, so you kind of want both. You want to be able to compare one cohort to another, but you also want to be able to compare a cohort over time. Excellent, good stuff. Um, we've got a couple of questions largely, and people are saying, are we able to access the, the webinar now that we, you've had opportunity to, to be here or for colleagues who haven't? So yes, we'll we'll, um, we'll put it out in various ways. We'll let you know. Um, some of you may know, uh, Jamie and I, um, we have a, a podcast which we run, uh, Data Busters podcast, and we'll probably break this down and, and issue that as part of our podcast, which you can get where all good data, um, good podcasts are. We'll also look at um, uh, making the, the webinar available through insight and i say a few other channel channels so um i will say so if you've contacted us here we'll and twitter. I, and twitter exactly so we'll probably be in touch just generally with some information a couple of people also saying can i get you know summaries or notes or reports that would be useful we can probably put together a summary which we'll put with once we've done the webinar as well so that you can see where things are but again i suggest for a lot of the things that you've mentioned you know you should be able to google a lot of the of the, the key things jamie runs a, a, um, a your website with your blog which is My blog's actually got i do need to update it but i did write a series of blogs like it was like five things that governors need to know about data um, and that was about sources of data and about pupil groups a lot and about progress measures i wrote a blog post uh, not that long ago called the it was the problem with progress a guide for governors so it really went into 
great detail in the issues on on this subject the issues of progress measures um and why we want them but maybe we can't have them <laughs> because they don't really work so i i've written a blog post if you go to my blog it's sig plus s-i-g oh, i'll just go there we go let's um uh let's go to my website i will share this um so yeah uh, share uh there we go so it is sigplus.co.uk and up here i've got a blog and um yeah that's about the way that performance is uh school performance is banded together uh, that's about calculating uh progress it's actually got a spreadsheet that shows how the, cal the progress calculation breaks down um who's included and who's not included in attainment and progress measures uh yeah 10 things i still hate about data um so there's all sorts of stuff in there if you want to read about a comparison of the french and english uh, accountability systems of course you do uh, that's all in there as well so there's loads of stuff it, it, it goes back years I think if you typed in governor, who knows, maybe I'll find some stuff in here. Oh, there we go. Problem with progress for governors, slides and video. Well, that was a couple of years ago. And then there's five things primary governors should know about data. Some of that is going to be a bit out of date, but, you know, it's worth reading and uh, and, and it was, a lot of it still be relevant. Exactly. So you've got that Jamie's um, uh, blog. Um, I have a couple of blogs, one of which is data, bust, um, data busting for schools. Um, and there's some information on that. I also um, have a, a blog, which I ha don't, haven't written in for a while, but it's got quite a lot of polemic about education, which is called the icing on the cake blog. Again, you can have a look at those. And then, of course, I'll lean back here and suggest this mighty thing. I say publisher this year, it's got a section for governors in it. And if you are particularly interested in, in how um, data has worked, then uh, or know somebody who is, is a perfect gift for, for, for the <laughs> yeah. Christmas is coming. <laughs> um, so I think that we've covered just about everything then. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, I say, lots to be said, uh, Governor. So I'm going to say thank you very much for all of you um, for staying with us, all of you being able to do that. Um, it's been wonderful to have you along. Um, uh, so I'm just going to say a big thank you for joining us for this Data Busters Guide to um, uh, Data Busters Guide for Governors webinar. Um, I say we'll make it available in various formats. We'll push out and we'll let you know. Um, so hopefully you look out for us. If you do follow Jamie or myself on Twitter, you'll be able to find it there. And I say we'll, we'll try and push that out to you. Um, as we said earlier, the webinar, as you know, is completely free. Um, if you'd like to donate to the Trussell Trust, remember it's just Trussell and the amount Trussell 5 two and the um the text number there um i'll give you one more time after this is seven zero zero eight five um again we'd appreciate that um we'll also say that if you'd like us to put it on a data busting day we do those around the country and we're really keen on coming out to places that uh, um that don't tend to get so much training so lots of places things happen in cities but if you're in a far-flung part of the country and you'd like a data busting day let us know and we'll see what we can do um don't forget to order your copy of as i say but, hey, you know, <laughs> nice. Push that again, um, and just let us know because again, if you read through that, it'd be useful to know what how you think about that because we're always looking for for new ways of doing things, uh, and we hope that this has been useful for you, help you to decide what you're going to do uh, to ask those questions at school to help support your school in their sensible use of data. Um, so I'm going to say a big thank you, Jamie. Should we say thank you? Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks for attending. Exactly. Um, so thanks all, and uh, I say hopefully we'll see you at some point. Um, keep data busting, as we usually say. Thank you very Bye. much. Have a lovely Bye. time. Bye.